back here with you guys. Uh, last week, uh, we took a team out to Kentucky and, and were able to minister to uh, a couple families out there who were uh, affected by the floods back in February and March. They had 18 to 24 inches of water in their home. And so we really came in as probably the second or third team to come through, and we were able to get the house drywall that starts looking more and more like a house, and, but also minister to their needs, um, witness to them uh, uh, what uh, Christianity looks like in action. And so it's really hard to deny uh, eight Californians coming out to Kentucky and working on your house and, and ministering to you for essentially f- uh, for free, obviously, and then obviously, and, and, and really trying to give of ourselves in a way that uh, points to Christ. And so it was a powerful week. We'll hopefully share more as time goes on, but it's, it's great to be back here with you guys and going through 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. It's going to be entitled, No Other foundation, no other foundation other than Christ, of course, and that was one of our songs, the cornerstone being Christ and Christ alone. But as we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, we've noticed that Corinth is a very cosmopolitan city, very prosperous economically because a lot of the trade routes, whether it be by sea or by land, would pass through Corinth, and so they were very economically prosperous. They had fertile ground for agriculture, so their agricultural industry flourished as well. The demographic of the people of of Corinth was very diverse as a result of their economic prosperity, so people uh, from the surrounding nations of the Middle East and modern-day Turkey, modern-day Europe, northern Africa, all resided there, and as a result, you had this diversity of people groups and diversity of religions and belief systems. It was also a center for the arts, a hub for philosophers to debate, the intellectuals to get into those types of discussions and activities, and a place where those higher uh, in in the social pecking order had resided and, and, and settled in. And the worship uh, of, of paganism was rampant. Uh, the false gods, were, uh, worshiping false gods was very prevalent in the city of Corinth. And it was uh, commonly understood that the, the main goddess that was worshiped was the goddess Aphrodite. Over a thousand or so temple prostitutes would solicit sexual immorality as a result to uh, make payment to that particular, uh, that particular service of worship. So it was commonplace, it was accepted. And, and so this was the church, this is where the church of Corinth was. Established. This is where Paul did such a powerful work. And unfortunately, the church at Corinth had not set itself apart from the worldly culture and those societal norms that were very carnal in nature. It, it hadn't set them, themselves apart from it. They were immersed in it. They were within that particular environment, but they hadn't set themselves apart. They weren't a, a beacon of light. And, and so when we come to Christ as Christians, there should be a discernible difference in our conduct. There should be a different pattern of speech, different motivations of the heart. There should be a a response that is different to tough situations and adverse circumstances than those that are still carnal in nature or of the world. And yet, unfortunately, the church at Corinth, those that made up the body of Christ in uh, in that church, they didn't display those characteristics. They were still very carnal in nature. And so uh, even though they were were this immature, kind of in this carnal status, uh, Paul uh, still reaffirms them. And he says that they were first, they're sanctified in Christ, so that, yes, they were indeed saved, even though they were in this carnal state, even though they were immature and underdeveloped as Christians, they're still saved by faith, they're still justified. They've received the Spirit. Remember, the flow of the Spirit, uh, the gifts of the Spirit were flowing in that church, so they had the gifts of the Spirit. And he refers to them in this chapter as brethren. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're peers in the body of God. They're equals. 
And so he still is reaffirming them, even though they're in this, this kind of immature status, he's still affirming them as brothers and sisters in Christ. But he does have a harsh rebuke for the Corinthians because, again, as fellow believers in Christ, he is a spiritual authority being the Apostle Paul. And he says that, um, that, these, that these Christians are, 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 again, carnal in nature, and he wants to be able to uh, refer to them uh, as spiritual men, but he has to refer to them as men of the flesh. So he has this harsh rebuke to them, and uh, they're still controlled by their old nature. They still are stunted uh, in their spiritual growth, and they're pursuing the desires and the appetites of the flesh. And that's what Pastor Eric taught on last Sunday. If you, didn't, if you weren't here Sunday or you didn't catch it online, I highly, highly recommend uh, that, uh, that you catch that online and, and download it or watch it. Because being a carnal Christian, there are some dangers. There's a lot of folly to it as well. And so uh, I, I highly recommend watching that, uh, that sermon last Sunday. But our portion of Scripture tonight is closely tied to verses 1 through 3 in, in chapter 3. So the best way in my mind to kind of judge my own carnality, because it, it, it's difficult at times when you are trying to follow after the Spirit. You're, 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 uh, you're, you're pursuing the Lord. You're pursuing His Word and then you're starting to notice that it might be difficult to receive. It might be difficult to get into a place of worship. It might be difficult to open up the word and have the word speak to you and, and have this endurance in the word because all of a sudden five minutes feels like an hour and, and, and I just am not receiving. And you have to take a spiritual inventory at that moment because at that point, most likely, the flesh has, has probably been fed a little bit too much. The carnality in your life has started to, uh, on the sliding scale of carnality to spirituality, that meter has started to slide more towards the carnal side. And so what starts to take the place of my devotions is feeding my flesh, whether it be uh, TV shows, Netflix, whether I'm on my phone, whether I'm in video games, whether I'm, 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 I'm immediately pleasing myself as, as a way to feed my flesh, I have less and less desire for the things of God. And so uh, Paul said, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So not only is Paul displeased with this church in Corinth for their carnal nature and their, and their immaturity, but he's, they're also displeasing to God in this carnal fleshly state. And he's trying his best to not only correct this behavior, but also get them to a place where they are spiritually minded. And so there have been times when I've been coming home, uh, c coming home for around dinner time in my previous job, and there was like an afternoon function. And in that afternoon function, there was things that were, uh, there was maybe hors d'oeuvres served and, and, and some, some food served, and I didn't really exhibit a lot of self-control. So I maybe partook of uh, the, the salami and the cheese, and then all of a sudden I had a little bit extra of the, the seven-layer bean dip. And, and next thing I know, I come home, and Maria has this beautiful dinner served and I'm not hungry. I spoiled my appetite, right? I ate too much at the work function, and then I take a couple bites, and even though this delicious dinner is before me, and it's good for me, it's nourishing to my body, I don't have the appetite for it because I spoiled my appetite on all the other stuff, all the snacks and whatnot. And so that is what happens when we feed our flesh. We spoil our appetite for the spiritual things of God. And that's where Corinth was. That's the lesson, one of the lessons that we can take from being, uh, uh, the, the dangers of being a carnal Christian, the folly of being a carnal Christian. And so if we fill ourselves up with the worldly food, so to speak, that junk food, we don't have room for service to God, to worship God. I don't know if you've, if you've witnessed this, if you've maybe... Uh, um, 
engaged in a little bit too much of secular music. If, you, if you're listening to secular music, and some secular music isn't bad, but if you feed your flesh on that, and, and it's an immediate gratification, and it really is pleasing to you, it's hard to now listen to worship music and get into that place of worship because, again, it doesn't satisfy the flesh, and therefore the flesh is winning out. And so Bible studies are less appealing, devotional times are less appealing, and, and again, that's what Paul is, is, uh, is, is dealing with here in Corinth. And so he wanted to speak to them as spiritual men, but he had to take a different approach. He he's now has to speak to them as men of the flesh, infants in Christ. And instead of being able to handle these difficult situations because there's starting to be divisions or factions forming in the church, which he's uh, readily willing to combat, he can't de- deal with them in a mature way, probably the more effective way. He has to deal with them as babes in Christ. And you'll see some of the, he, he gets pretty firm with them in his, in his language to them. And he says, I gave you milk, not solid food. I, you know, we're still nursing you along. You're still crawling along in diapers and I have to nurse you with the milk. I can't give you the solid meat of the word, which is where you should be at this particular point. But unfortunately, you still need the milk of the word. So the outcome of this spiritual immaturity as a result of being carnally minded, driven by the flesh, the pursuit of pleasure all the time is what we see in verse three. And it says that jealousy and strife started to become a key characteristic or, or uh, 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 evident within the church. Jealousy is that envious, contentious rivalry. And it typically leads to bitterness. It, it, it's outbursts of emotion. And then that jealousy now leads to strife, the contentiousness among people. And then now we see that strife continues. And if it goes unresolved, and it typically, strife typically goes unresolved with immature people because there's a lack of humility to want reconciliation. They want to be right. They don't want to be reconciled. And so as a result of that immaturity, the end result is division. And that's what's going on in the church in verses 4 through 11. And that's what we're going to tackle tonight. So Paul, being the spiritual authority, the founder of this church of Corinth, and he's now going to put on his pastoral hat. In fact, he's going to put on his spiritual father hat. We'll get to that here in a moment. But he's going to issue some corrective measures and a perspective check for the Corinthians. So verse 4, he says, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? And so a glaring indicator of this carnal church in Corinth, a way to identify this immaturity was these body of believers started to faction off underneath different men. The Corinthian believers had so distorted the work of the ministry that they were pledging allegiance to men. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Both of these men were well learned in the scriptures. Apollos was an eloquent man. He was fervent in spirit. He knew the scriptures well, and he was doing a great work for God. Same with Paul. We know Paul is one of the most prolific writers that that we have in the Bible, penned more than half of the New Testament, and and he was prolific in his his ministries across the the Adriatic and, and, and in the Mediterranean. And both of these men were doing powerful works of God, yet they were factioning off under one or the other, saying, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul. And they had developed these jealousies and these strife among themselves and, 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 and getting into these groups. And this sort of division based upon following men is a direct reflection of a worldly mind, of, of a carnal mind, because we do this in politics, don't we? We get behind one candidate or another. We do this in business. We get behind one business leader or another who we might invest in, who we might support. We do this with our athletic teams or the athletes that we support. We do this with uh, those that are in different types of music or genres of music or even uh, actors and whatnot. We get behind different people and then we start to identify ourselves with those people and we're in that camp. And that's what they're doing here. It's a worldly mindset. It's a carnal mindset. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. Paul is saying this has no business 
This has no business being in the church. This has no place in the church. It's dangerous. One who labors for Christ, whether they're a pastor, a worship leader, or any other position of leadership, they are never to be placed on a pedestal. They're never to be venerated or, dare I say, idolized. Should they be respected? Absolutely. Should they have appreciation? Yes, they should be appreciated. But should they be complimented and praised? Very carefully. If your praise is coming from a genuine place, it's coming from a place of gratitude, and it always should be in conjunction with giving God the glory as well. And so that was the danger that was going on here in Corinth. Paul says, we are just mere men. Those that were under Apollos or or, uh, aligning with Apollos or those that were aligning with Paul, he says, you are mere men. But the ministry, those that are in the ministry are mere men as well, or mere women, sinners saved by grace, flawed and imperfect as well. Hopefully, those that are in a pulpit ministry or up front, invisible, they are good examples. They are, uh, there's a conformity to Christ that is evident, and there's a work of the Spirit in their life that is evident to those that, that they're ministering to. But they are by no means finished works. We're not a finished work. I'm not a finished work. God is continually working in all of our lives. So therefore, to make yourself aligned with one or the other and to pit one against the other as one is better than the other is folly, it's carnal, it's erroneous. So I thought of this in our own context, and it's actually difficult to even uh, think about. Could you imagine in, within this body of Christ, you, we would have some that say, I am of Eric, I am of Chris, I am of Pastor Dane, I am of Pastor Brandon, I am of uh, Pastor Aaron. It, it would grieve our hearts because there's nothing more that this staff, this pastoral staff or this staff here at church wants more than unity. And we all have different roles and different responsibilities. We all have different gifts. We all complement one another one, uh, in different ways but it would grieve our hearts to see that one would align with another. And then all of a sudden we have these factions developing with our in, uh, within our own body as a result of aligning with one more than another. And so that's what Paul is dealing with here. He says, verse 5, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So Paul views the Corinthian believers, metaphorically speaking, as his spiritual children. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, if you flip one uh, chapter ahead, he says, I became your father through the gospel. I became your father through the gospel. So in a sense, he's not their father like we would maybe think in the Catholic Church of priests. He's uh, metaphorically speaking, like he's birthed this church. The work of, of, of his ministry, this church was born as a result of it. And he's, he sees himself as a spiritual father. They are his spiritual chil- children. So he has this affection towards them. And he says, as a loving father, I'm going to give you correction now. I'm going to correct you, and, and I'm going to do it as... Uh, Those that are ministers of God's word, those who are laboring in the ministry, they are to be seen as what? Servants. They are to be seen as servants. And that word in the Greek is diakonos, and it has a few different meanings. There's a meaning that applies to being a servant of a king, diakonos. It also has a meaning of a deacon, which is a a position given to a a person or an individual within a church. It's assigned by, by the church. But I believe he means it this way. This word can also mean a waiter, one who serves and waits tables. In our common day vernacular, it's a server or a waitress or a waiter. We are to be servants. Those who are in positions of ministry, pastoral ministry, whatever it is, we are to be seen as servants. 
So when's the last time you have venerated or idolized or put up a servant uh, or a table waiter uh, in that position? You don't. They're the people that you're, if you're at a catered event or at a restaurant, they're the people that are going back and forth, making sure you have everything you need to enjoy your meal, to enjoy your time. And that's what Paul is likening uh, those who are in the ministry to be like, to be servants. And so um, those, who, those servants who begin to be placed on a pedestal, dare, dare I say idolized, can be instruments of division. If they start to receive that, if Apollos or Paul started to receive that, uh, that appreciation and started to, uh, started to go with it, factions would definitely start to increase. And that's how false teachers begin. They don't bring people to Jesus. They don't point people to Christ. They bring people unto themselves. They seek out to be placed on a pedestal, and they seek out the glory for themselves. They never give glory to God. They seek out the, the preferential treatment, and as a result, they consolidate the power they become intoxicated with all of the praise, with, ad, with the adoration, and then typically what comes after that is the heresy and the abuse. And so false teachers are the ones that seek that veneration. Those that are in the ministry for the right reasons, with the right heart, should be seen as servants and should have that heart as they apply their ministry. And he says, we were servants through whom you believed. We were just the instruments. We were just the vessels God used to bring you into the faith and trust of Jesus Christ. That's all we were. We were these servants. Verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So we are given these different opportunities within the ministry. As I said, on this pastoral staff, we have different uh, ministry uh, responsibilities and roles within this church, and therefore, we have different flocks that we, that we tend to, different um, uh, roles that we play. And so in this case, Paul was a planter. He was a church planter. He was very, very uh, successful at planting churches all throughout that region of the world. His initial stay in, in the for Corinth was 18 months, and he labored for 18 months to plant that church in Corinth. And he would, remember, Paul did not want to build on any other foundation. He was committed to making Christ's name known where it had not been previously preached. He wanted Christ to be preached in, in, in places that were unreached and had not been, uh, been uh, exposed to uh, the gospel of, of Jesus. Apollos was, apparently was a waterer. He was one that would teach the word and, and water that which had already been planted. But the verbs here that are used in the Greek are really interesting because when you look at uh, Paul being the planter and Apollos being the waterer, those are finished works. Those are finite works. They have a beginning and they have an end. Think of our beloved Pastor Brad. He spent 30 plus years in this church, in this pulpit, faithfully teaching the word. And he had a beginning and an end. And so his work was finite. But he says God was causing the, the increase. God caused the increase. And that was Pastor Brad's message. Hopefully you didn't come to this church for me, even though he was such a blessing to us in, in the pulpit as a pastor, as a faithful servant of God. Hopefully you weren't here because of a man. You were here because of Jesus Christ. It's God who causes the increase. And the verb that is associated with God's work is incomplete, meaning it's continuous. God is causing the increase continuously, regardless of who's in the pulpit, regardless of who is giving the message, who's uh, doing the ministry. The vessel that's behind that uh, ministry is finite. We're going to have a beginning and end to our ministry. God's causing the increase continually, and he's never done until our day of being called to heaven, being called to him. So Paul is 100% clear that neither of those efforts by he or Apollos caused the growth. God and he alone causes the growth. 
So if uh, we went to Home Depot and we went and bought an orange tree, uh, we bring that orange tree home, we dig the hole, we make sure that hole is fertilized with good, with good soil, we water it diligently, we put it in a very strategic location in our backyard so it gets the good morning light, it's not going to get beat up by the afternoon sun. And then that tree starts to flourish. It starts to grow. It starts to bear fruit. And I start to enjoy that fruit. I have to ask myself, did I create the soil? Did I create the nutrients within that soil? Did I create the capacity that the plant has to absorb those nutrients and and, and grow from there? Did I create the water, the elements within the water, or the ability for the plant to absorb that water into its system? Did, Did I create the sun? And the process of photosynthesis and uh, the, the bees and the insects that are the vectors that take the pollen from one flower to another? Absolutely not. God created all of those elements. God created all of those systems. And he is the one that creates the growth and the increase. However, if I was to take that orange tree and just buy it and set it off to the side and never touch it again, what happens to that orange tree? It absolutely dies, right? It, it dies, it withers, it passes away. So there is a partnership between us and the Lord. There is an obedience and a faithfulness that when we step into the calling that God has for us, in whatever service capacity that is, in the body of Christ, God will then take us and use us as vessels, and then he causes the growth. Our ministry, we can be used through God. It's a powerful, powerful thought. We can be used by the Most High as vessels of honor to minister to the body of Christ, to minister to those who, who are lost, to give him the glory. He causes the growth. We are the ones that he uses to cause the growth. It's a glorious truth. I love our junior high ministry's name. Our junior high ministry's name is planted. Our high school's name is watered. No, I'm just kidding. It's established. Just seeing if you're still awake with me. Our high school's uh, name is established youth. And then our young adults are the grove. And you can kind of see this progression of our junior hires are planted and then they get established in high school and then they multiply and then the increase is the grove. And so each of our pastors, you could argue, are planting, they're watering, they're tilling the soil of our young people. And hopefully that's in concert with what's going on at home. The scriptures are being taught at home and reinforced and there's... uh, there's, uh, home devotions and whatnot going on, but the growth, the faith, the maturity of those kids, whether they're junior high, high school, or young adults, all of the increase belongs to God through the faithful service of those that are are in the ministry. And so Paul, if he didn't make it clear enough, he reiterates his same statement in verse 7. He says, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes, it is God who causes the growth. So those that are immature at times need a a repeat, a second dose, right? They need a very straightforward uh, rebuke, if you will. And he says, neither the planter nor the waterer are anything. God causes the growth. He's the agent of change. In verse 8, he says, now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Verse 8 was fascinating to me as, as I continued to study this passage of Scripture. And first of all, he wants to, again, he's, remember, he's refuting this idea of division within the church, being of Paul and being of Apollo. So he says, listen, he who plants, he likened himself to the planter, and he who waters are one. There is no division. We are one. We are on level ground. Regardless of our roles, responsibilities within the ministry, within the body of Christ, and there are many, we are one. We're on level ground. We all have different spiritual gifts. We all have different callings on our lives. And sometimes that calling can be maybe suppressed. It can be ignored. It can be shelved and put off to the side. 
The gifts that we have, again, they're there. We know what they are. And we're not utilizing them for the body of Christ. So the second part of this scripture can be a little disconcerting. It says, but, uh, he says, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So there is an element to our engagement within the body of Christ, with our service to the church. And that level of engagement is going to determine the level of reward that we get. Notice it says, we will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So we're not talking about salvation. Salvation is by faith in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest we boast. So thankfully, the, 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 the salvation issue is paid for, right? Because if it had anything to do with me, I probably would boast. I would brag a little bit. Look what I've done. Look how good I am to get myself into heaven. It's all by God's grace. It's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Thank you, Lord, for that. But now this sanctification process is, there is a, a process by which I walk in my gifts. I walk in the calling that God has put on my life. And now as I engage in that, and to the degree I engage in those gifts and in that service, I now am going to reap a reward on the back end of that. It's not immediate gratification, although... You know what? God does bless you when you're serving him. When we went out to Kentucky this past week, we went out to serve and we went out to bless. And I'll tell you what, God filled us up five times more than what we could have ever uh, bestowed on those, those families. He was so good in, in, in what he was able to give to us during that moment of service, those times of service. And so this can be a little bit difficult for those who think, well, wait a second. Are you giving me a works trip? Is this a, a works ploy to get us working in the church? It's scriptural. It's biblical. This is what Paul is teaching out of his word. And those rewards, again, are going to be according to our own labor. Paul gets into the rewards a little bit more in chapter, uh, verses 13 through 15. And then he also, there's another scripture, uh, there's other scriptures, but 2 Corinthians 5.10, he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Not the judgment seat, again, of, of salvation, but it's going to be judging our works, what we have done during our time here with the gifts that he's given us and the calling he's put on our lives. And so these rewards are what we will receive as our inheritance when we spend eternity with him. So we don't want to lose out. The motivation of our heart should not be to see how much I can get. It's to bring glory to the Lord, to show the sheer appreciation of what he's done for my life. And I'm going to now, Lord, just love on you and love on your people. And you've given me these gifts as a measure of your grace. So absolutely, I'm going to engage in the body. But I'm not doing it to gain anything. But God is so good, there will be rewards on the back end in, in that day of glory. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. So he continues this kind of agricultural theme, if you will, this illustration of you are God's, uh, we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. So Apollos, Paul, those in the ministry, we're just fellow laborers, fellow workers. Guys that are out in the field working on a field, we're just tilling the land. And, and that, uh, that word field is a cultivated field. It's just not some abandoned field with weeds and, and all, all sorts of like overgrown shrubs. This is a cultivated field, a field that is intended to be farmed, intended to have growth and, and fruit. And so uh, Corinth had a flourishing, remember they had a flourishing agricultural industry. They had very fertile ground. So this type of picture, this illustration would have resonated with them very, very closely. So those in the ministry have the responsibility to labor well. 
We who have been called in certain ministries and have stepped into these ministries, and especially ministries that are up front where, people, uh, where people's eyes are on you, there is a responsibility to labor well, to promote an environment where the people of God, the field of God, if you will, will bear fruit in the Spirit. The, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 would be evident. We have a, we have a responsibility to tend the field so that the fruit of sanctification, Romans 6, 22, that people would uh, have an environment where they can be sanctified, set apart for God's work, set apart different from the world, different from the life that they once lived, that the, that the field would bear fruit in every good work, Colossians 1, 10, that there would be the fruit of lips, that there would be a place where they could praise, Hebrews 13, 15, that there would be an ability to win souls for Christ, that there would be opportunities within the church, that there would be an ability to win souls for Christ, Romans 1.13. Fruit, by God's design, by his perfect design, fruit possesses seeds within, within itself, and it, has, it carries its own ability to multiply itself, right? The fruit is, is the evidence of, of growth, but inside that fruit are the seeds, and those seeds have the ability to multiply itself. So therefore, as co-laborers in the ministry, in God's field, we are to take extra care of the soil of the church, those who are in uh, these, these types of ministries. Satan, in this particular situation in the, in the church of Corinth, has taken every advantage to sow the seeds of discord in this church. Through their immaturity, through the open door of carnality, he has come in and he is starting to create division and factions. As laborers in, the, the, in God's field, we are to make sure that those doors are not open for the, for the enemy to come in and sow seeds of discord. We are co-laborers, one in Christ. So Paul is reminding the brethren at Corinth that a man is not responsible for the growth. He's not responsible for the fruit. He's not responsible for the increase. It is Christ as the foundation. He is the one. That, uh, we are just laborers. We are table waiters. We are servants. And so now he shifts the, the uh, we're going we're gonna to finish here, he shifts the metaphor a bit. And he goes from this agricultural metaphor to like a structural or engineering metaphor. And he says in the back, the back part of verse 9, he says, God's building, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid which is Jesus Christ. So Paul's illustration, again, shifts to this kind of uh, structural engineering, if you will. And he calls himself a wise master builder. And I took a second, and I kind of scratched my head, and I said, is Paul giving himself kind of a spiritual pat on the back, kind of a humble brag moment? I'm a, I'm a wise, like a wise master builder. But then remember, Paul had that one-on-one with Jesus, he had that one-on-one time with Jesus as he was being raised up into the ministry as the Apostle Paul. And I believe he went back to Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27. I don't know if we have that up on the screen, but Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27. And Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. 
Paul was that wise master builder. And I don't believe he's, he's giving himself a spiritual pat on the back or, or bragging in any sense. I think he's going back to what Jesus said. And he says, wise is the man who built his house on the rock. Paul is saying, I have built this church. I founded this church on nothing more than Jesus Christ. Any master builder or contractor will tell you, if, is there any uh, general contractors in here in the construction business? Just, just curious. If you're in the construction business, you will know that the foundation is the most important part of a build. Any mistakes made in laying the foundation will only get worse as you continue to build the house. As you continue to go up, those mistakes will only continue to get worse. And in fact, there's a term for it. It's called compounding defects, which means that as you build, not only do the mistakes continue, they get more and more exaggerated. They get larger and larger. So if I'm off a half inch on the foundation, by the time I get to the roof, I'm probably going to be off an inch and a half because those mistakes continue to compound. We, we experienced this firsthand in this house that we were helping to rebuild in Kentucky. I am in no way a carpenter. I'm in no way a drywall hanger, but that's what we were doing. So I don't know if you know what fur strips are, but we're laying these fur strips on the ceiling, and the, ce- and, and the ceiling went like this. It kind of started off straight, and then by the time that, that run ended, it was about an inch and a half different from where we started. So we're laying our fur strips every 16 inches. And next thing you know, we're going to put the, uh, the drywall up and our drywall wasn't hitting because we had compounded the mistake because of, of the bow of that wall. It, it continued to compound. I experienced it firsthand. Paul's saying that I laid you on a firm foundation. It's completely level. The measurements are perfect. It's of Jesus Christ. And so any mistakes that are a result are a result of what comes from the laborer, not from what I have laid as a foundation. Paul, as that wise master builder, was careful to lay this firm foundation. And he says in chapter 2, verse 2 of this particular, uh, of 1 Corinthians, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't know anything. I I claim nothing to know anything else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In chapter 15, he talks about or he describes the gospel. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, it says, I made you to know, brethren, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul was very, very explicit, very, very simplistic, very straightforward with how he built the church at Corinth. It was the firm foundation of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. And so, Nothing more, nothing less, nothing added, nothing taking away, Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And this is where Paul shifts the focus away from the worker and he puts it on the work. And he issues a very uh, uh, stark warning. He says, but each man must be careful or each man must take heed, verse 10 there, of how he builds on it for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So again, Paul is saying, I laid this firm foundation. The measurements are right. It's completely level. There is no defect in this foundation of Jesus Christ as, as the foundation of this church. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Paul. It's not about a different doctrine. It's not about man's wisdom. It's not about the philosophies of the day here in Corinth. It is about Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that's it. And so therefore, the work that now you embark on, the work that is now embarked on within the ministry you would be the one to blame if there's any defects. <laughs> Christ is blameless, but if there's any fault in the, in the work, it is a result of the worker. 
So how many people have been stumbled or tripped up by those who take the title of pastor, who take the title of Bible teacher or reverend or priest or whatever other title associated with uh, being in the ministry, and they tried to lay a different foundation other than Christ? Or they took the, the firm foundation of Christ and tried to build upon it with false doctrine, misleading people, leading people astray. And as teachers start to deviate from preaching the gospel, preaching uh, the, the Christ and him crucified, they start to preach on uh, topics that tickle the ears of those that are in the seats to make people feel comfortable, people feel good, maybe elicit an emotional response versus what God's word has to say. And they start to preach, uh, maybe they, they, they have a different foundation or they're not careful as to how they're building on that foundation. And as a result, that ministry, that church, that work is going to collapse, it's going to fall, it's going to disappear just as Jesus said so in Matthew chapter 7. But the problem is it's going to take people with them because those false teachers, those people who are building on either a different foundation or are building falsely on that foundation are going to take people with them. There's going to be hurt, there's going to be pain, disillusionment, and all of a sudden the blame gets put on God and not on the person who was leading them astray, and that's the danger. So in conclusion, Paul, the father of this body of believers, imparted such valuable truths that we can glean from, that we can learn from, not only as individual believers, but also as a church, Calvary Chapel, West Grove. So it's not about Apollos or Paul. It's not about Chuck Smith or Chuck Swindoll or Eric or Chris. It's we are not to venerate, idolize, or create any factions or divisions within the body of Christ. It's not about one man's teaching or another man's teaching. Divisions of this nature are a result, a direct result of immaturity and carnality within the church. Petty jealousies, insecurities, insignificant competitiveness, and those, those things that lead to strife and conflict will lead to division. The pastor, the teacher, the spiritual leader is nothing more than a servant, a table waiter, a co-laborer, and we are to do this as one. We might have different roles and responsibilities. One may water, one may plant, one may reap. Whatever it is, it is God who causes the increase. The growth occurs solely because of the work of the Spirit and God through his sovereign will allowing that work to continue. Second, when we labor, when we build, we need to take heed. We need to be very careful that we build upon the firm foundation of Christ and that foundation alone. And we do not deviate from making his name known. He is the one that receives the glory. He is the one that is the topic of conversation, not the one giving the message. So I keep going back to what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 2. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the firm foundation. That's the work. That's the labor. And may we labor well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for making it available to us. We thank you that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it speaks to us specifically and individually. It speaks to us in any circumstance that we are in. We thank you that, Lord, it, it is edifying and nourishing to our spiritual soul, to our spiritual uh, inner man, Lord, that we can be built up pressed on to maturity as a result. But Lord, forgive us if we have fed on the junk food of this world. Lord, if we have taken in too much 
of this world, and as a result, we don't have an appetite for your word. We don't have an appetite to worship you or serve you. Forgive us, Lord. And may we continue to walk after the Spirit that we would crucify our flesh and daily die to self, taking up our cross and follow after you, that it would be a daily commitment, an intentional, purposeful commitment that we would follow you each day because, Lord, you are faithful, you are worthy. We thank you for the gifts that you have given to us, the spiritual gifts that you've endowed to each of us simply by your grace. They are gifts. We did nothing to deserve them. We thank you for the calling that you've put on our lives as well, Lord. So exciting that you have called us into the the fold of God to be children of God. But you didn't just call us to just sit here and, and, and only drink in. You've called us to be blessings to one another, to serve one another. You've given us these gifts to be able to do that effectively. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would fall on your children this evening that if anybody doesn't know their calling or know their spiritual gift, Lord, that they would, it would just be crystal clear to them tonight. And if they've been negligent or they've just been putting it off, procrastinating, suppressing that calling that you put on their lives, Lord, may today be the day of commitment that they're going to step forward and say, you know what, Lord, you've been calling me to this ministry or to this work or to labor in this way, and I'm going to step out in faith. And I know you will lead me. I know you'll meet me there. And I know you will equip me to, the, to do the work that you've called me to do. And as I labor in that work, you will cause the increase. It's not up to me. Thank you, Lord, that that's not up to me, that you cause the increase. All we have to do is show up and labor well for you. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would fall now. In Jesus' name.